you have to be fearless if you want to be wholehearted because you have to project it into the world. And often it means you would need to align your life according to your values. You're listening to the Wholehearted Podcast and I'm your host, Cohen Tan. I'm on a mission to set hearts free and inspire people to break out of their self-limitations to create the life of their dreams. Each episode, I speak to people around the world who live with vigor, courage, and authenticity. And I hope their stories can inspire you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. I'm your host, Cohen Tan, and I speak to cool people around the world who live their life wholeheartedly going after their dreams. And I hope that the stories that I share can inspire you to live your life wholeheartedly as well. And today, I speak to my good friend, Yana Fry. I've known Yana for close to a decade, and I absolutely love the work that she's doing. She's a person who's very connected with herself, and she's been traveling around the world, helping to coach leaders to live their life fearlessly. So Yana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Koyan. <laughs> so, Yara, tell me a little bit of the cool stuff that's happening in your life recently. Cool stuff happening in my life. Um, there was a lot of travel, as I just read, shared with you. And we are also moving, so it's just a lot of uh, family commitments and activities, which is wonderful, but also just time, uh, taking up the time. And uh, I feel that especially since I got back from my sabbatical, which was in July this year, like for the last few months, so many things uh, just opening up professionally and it's, it's beautiful to witness. Wow, it's great to, to hear that. Talking about your sabbatical, uh, I understand that you went to travel for around a year during yes. the pandemic. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. That was uh, kind of... Uh, um, I know it sounds maybe in a way almost like a luxury, you know, but I feel for me, it was actually more of a necessity. And it's like speaking about mental health, I just hit the wall. I mean, that was in general, like I've been a bit claustrophobic since I was a child. So I don't tolerate well close environments or close countries. And uh, so it has been just very, very tough to be uh, like in a small country like Singapore with the lockdowns. And uh, so I feel after one year doing it in my mind, I was like, this is it. Like, I, I just can't do it anymore. And actually, that was the main reason uh, why I left. And we didn't even know. So it was not like I'm going to go on a one year sabbatical thing. It was more I have to leave because I can't stay in those lockdowns and quarantines anymore. And I'm not going to come back as long as Singapore has quarantine rules. And so it was kind of the agreement that uh, we had with my family. And so it ended up being a one-year journey around the world, which was truly significant. What do you say to people who say who think that, ah, no, I cannot travel because I got commitments, because I have got things to do? What would you say to people like that? Well, I think it's all in your mind. So the commitments and the things that you have to do, it's, it's all in the mind. And there is always a way to... Um, to restructure. I remember that very long time ago, I uh, I did all kinds of programs and trainings in my life as a participant also. And I remember I was attending uh, one of the like a business accelerators program. And uh, so and, and, and the, the leader of the program on the first day just told everyone, OK, so now I want you to think very carefully what kind of life you really would like to have, like how, especially around your business, like how would you like your business to be, how much money you want to make, you know, what do you want to do, sort of like all of this. And so we spent, I remember the first day just doing strategy and planning and, you know, setting all of it in place. And then we came on the next day, then the same guy said, okay, and now I want you to think, imagine if someone just puts a gun to your head and says that they're going to shoot you if you don't figure out how to do it while you're actually spending all the time you want with your family, doing all the travel you want, and in general, living the life of your dreams in terms of hobbies and everything, and you're still accomplishing everything you want to accomplish in your business. So and you have now the full day to think about it. So I still remember that you know exercise, and to be honest, to my greatest surprise in terms of just number of people, every single person figure out 
how to have both, how to achieve what they wanted to achieve professionally, and at the same time, not to enslave themselves um, into the daily uh, aspects of those commitments and still free time. Wow, fantastic. It sounds like it's not just a kind of, you know, like just go and live a life, you know, YOLO and being irresponsible about it. I see that there's also a certain amount of conscious planning around this. So can you share more about your process? Of course. Well, I can also, not just about me, you know, I'm a big fan of learning from other people. And I can tell you, like, for example, just uh, like a week or two weeks ago, I went to Kusamui to teach CEOs from uh, Iran. And it was very interesting for me just to meet also those people. And especially one of them, his name is Payam. And I think he's maybe 30, maybe 31, oh, 29, I think. He's wow. 29. And uh, he is employing like on a fixed way, 100 people, on a sort of semi-fixed way, 150 people across three businesses that he is running. And it's like one business is in a, the coaching, speaking, and training. And he does all those programs, you know, in Persian language out of Istanbul. And then like another business, it's it's like an app with the services that they offer all around more like a psychology and therapy probably. And then, and then there is another app, you know, also that they offer different services. And um, so my question to him was, how do you manage all those 100, 150 people and don't go crazy? <laughs> and he has a girlfriend, you know, he's in a committed relationships. And he told me that he spends about maybe two hours a day on all his businesses in total, about maybe five, six hours a day on his own personal development. And the rest of the time with his girlfriend. And so to me, you know, it was also very interesting. So how do you do that? <laughs> I think that's, you know, a very interesting schedule to have. And he told me that it's all about strategy and planning and system. Mm. So that, for example, now he has, okay, 100, 150 people. But at the beginning, maybe he had two, three, five. Like he just got, you know, assistant, maybe marketing person, and maybe someone else, just very few people at the core team at the very beginning. And even though he had only three or five people back then already, he started developing full structure, um, like delegating and crystallizing what are their responsibilities. And so, and that's, he basically just wrote down very clearly the job, not just the job description, but more, what are your responsibility in a very structured way for each type of um, person that he hired for different activities to grow the business. And uh, what that made, he said at the very beginning, many of his friends were telling him he was wasting his time because it's the team of three or five people who does it. You know, he was putting like the full plan in place. Wow. And But he said he don't understand. And by doing that, I will buy myself time in the future. And that's exactly wow. what is happening right now. So because when the team was small, he put in place all those systems. So now the systems work. And when the new person comes in, he does not have to spend his own time or anyone else, you know, in the office or in the company to train this person. Everything is outlined. They go through the programs. They also have part of their company. They do like three months of training and development in terms of mind for each new employee. And so a person just goes through all the programs and all the systems itself. And it becomes like almost like an automated process in a way. And everyone is aligned. And so now he's 29, employs 150 people, makes a lot of money, helps a lot of people, and he spends two hours a day on that. I think it's incredibly inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've, I've recently been starting to put a lot of systems together in my own business, even though my team is very small. I, listening to this story just makes me feel like, yeah, I'm doing something. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm not really doing putting in the work, you know, as I'm, I'm not seeing the results yet, but uh, I, I'm very, 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 um, you know, uh, enlightened and also very encouraged yeah. by this story. <laughs> yeah. We ask our guests, Yana, uh, what does being wholehearted mean to you? Wholehearted. Uh, for me, it means kindness, fearlessness, and I would add also service. 
Mm-hmm. I think those three words um, would summarize it for me at the moment. Wow. Let's talk about kindness, right? I think um, kindness over the last two years during the pandemic has been something that really surfaced you know, to the top. I think it's, it's something that people don't yeah. talk a lot about. Exactly. And even like on social media, right? I mean, there was so much complaint about social media before that there are all kind of downfalls to this, but actually how much kindness we experienced also since 2020 with strangers reaching out and offering help exactly because of the isolation and everything, right? So mm-hmm. kindness, um, to me, kindness also linked directly with compassion and with the heart opening. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so I feel that we cannot really truly fulfill our life purpose and find true happiness if the heart is closed, right? You can't be, if you don't have, a, if you're not wholehearted, you're not living your life fully. And a big part of being wholehearted is having an open heart. And so what it means when you have an open heart, then it just fundamentally makes you more kind towards others and yourself and more compassionate as a human being. And uh, the way to get there is usually through doing a lot of inner work. That's why, you know, I'm a big advocate of just telling people, uh, go heal yourself, you know, talk to Mm. professionals, talk to therapists, work with coaches, go for workshops, go for healing, you know, do something. So heal whatever traumas you ever experienced and any kind of conditioning you felt, you know, limited somehow, you as a person, get rid of all of that, you know, heal yourself. And then when that happens, that brings in a human being into that space of kindness when you you don't have, um, you know, grudges against other people. You are not resentful. You are not holding on to something that happened 10 or 20 years ago anymore. You're at peace. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that when you're kind and at peace, that just frees up this energy in the heart. And again, like I think uh, the, the audience would know about the Heart Math Institute, right? A very famous institution that has been studying the heart and has proven to us that the heart, in terms of intelligence, just much more capable than our mind. So when the, when the heart is fully activated, when the heart is fully open, I would say overall holistic intelligence of the person quantum leaps. And you just become more smart and wiser. <laughs> wow, you may not be able to see this, right? But I'm having goosebumps, really, like just listening to you share this. I remember that um, I've been following your social media posts for some time. And um, I, I've always been very inspired reading your posts. Um, you're always bearing your soul and you're just being so open-hearted out there uh, with your posts. And that's very, very inspiring. Thank I remember you. once I reached out to you and I said, hey, Yana, it's like, I have a lot of envy for you at the time. That was like, I think about seven, eight years ago. And I said, I, I, I wish I, my life could be just like you, you know? And you said, Cohen, you can do it. Just go do it. And um, seriously, my life has really transformed and changed just by that little change my mindset. <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. And that's, I guess, also, you know, the original question you ask about people who feel that they might have responsibilities and commitments. I mean, aren't we all? We all have. And uh, it's just a matter of how, it's, it, to me, it's a matter of values and priorities. Like, what is it that you value and what is you prioritize? Like, I know for myself, I value freedom, love, and contribution. So I build my life around it, right? And my family comes, you know, and it is also as a part of it. So, and then, so that's kind of what I build around. And if something is not aligned with those three values, I put it aside. And uh, I feel that this is maybe the second word, the fearlessness comes in, that you just have to be fearless in a way of your truth. Like you need to know your truth first, what it is that is really important to you, what are your values, what are your priorities? You know, it, it requires some self-inquiry. And usually it's not a one-day process. It's not like you go for, I don't know, one-day workshop and figure out your values. It, it's a journey and could also change, right, through time I mean, as you go through life. But you need to know what it is right now. And then I feel like once we know the values and once we're clear on that, then you have to be fearless if you want to be wholehearted because you, you, you have to project it 
into the world. And often it means you would need to align your life according to your values. And in all honesty, sometimes it means making not very popular decisions. And not everyone is going to be entirely happy with your decisions, particularly family members or your closest friends or people, you know, who like in your very close circle. And maybe they they get to use to know you as a certain uh, character, as a certain personality. But, you know, people might not always be very supportive at the beginning. So you yes. have to be fearless. You have to be strong in your truth and still kind. Right. That's why I'm saying kindness is important. Oh. So it's not kind of like, well, whatever, I'm just walking out of this marriage or I'm walking out of this commitment and you do whatever you want. You know, now it's about me, how sometimes I have seen people doing that. I think this is an extreme. Yes. So that's why kindness is important, where you honor your truth, you're strong and you feel it's about it, but you're still compassionate to people around you. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's finding the way that's, harmonious as much as possible while you're still pursuing your truth wow i think i can end this podcast episode right now here because we got so much value from that but <laughs> um but you talk so much about um kindness and also living fearlessly but i think in one of our previous chats uh, i recall you shared um it wasn't always like that right um when you were younger uh, you had to leave your homeland um, in search of freedom, one of your values, right? Um, so can you share with me a little bit more about how your your past um, experiences, your background has shaped sure. you to be the person you are? Sure, and I feel maybe, you know, that's what they always say, right? Our environment and particularly our childhood environment or the first, actually not just childhood, the first 21 years of a human life is the forming years with everything. There are different stages, I mean, psychologists say we go through seven years of stages that we develop in a different ways, but fundamentally it's first 21 years that sets the course. And uh, just my first 21 years were very unfree, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I was born in St. Petersburg. I mean, I was born uh, during the USSR time still. And then we kind of lived through the system collapsing. And this is when this, the new Russia came in. And uh, the country was thrown for about like a decade and 90s into criminals, you know, ruling over the country. And I know like in the modern world, people love sometimes and say it might still be the case. I don't know. You know, I'm not close to politics, so I wouldn't know that. But I know that when I was growing up, it was it was like in Latin America. People or like or like in U.S. right now where people openly carry guns. Right. So you could get in a crossfire. Sometimes you I don't know if you go to school as a girl, you can be raped on the way to school. So it was like incredibly unsafe, you know, just growing up with things and also massive instability, of course, as the government and with the society and then parents lost, don't know what to do because they had, you know, they had system and structure for 70 years that disappeared over the night. I mean, you can't just build a free economy in 24 hours. Things don't work like this. So people were not prepared for any of those changes. And then, of course, my generation, we were born in the past, we lived in the present, and we kind of were preparing for the future, right? Like in a very massive way. And I think as a woman, particularly as a Russian woman at the time, I felt that there was not much freedom. Society was still very patriarchal, and it was kind of... Like if you're not with the man, you don't have much to say, you know, you don't have much voice, you don't have much value, you don't have much opportunities and kind of the, the whole worth of a woman would sort of be perceived through a, not just a man, but a husband that she has, right? So if she doesn't have a husband, she kind of half of a woman. And um, so there was just like a lot of pressure around that. And I received my first marriage proposal when I was 17. And I was like, and I loved the guy, you know, I mean, we were dating and I really loved him. But I remember I looked at him and I thought to myself, there's no way. I mean, there's no way I'm just going to throw my life under the bus like this. And I chose actually education instead. I broke up with him and I went to the university to study because I wanted to have a better life. Uh, but then I still looked around and I just did not see at the time I did not see happy women. Maybe that's the whole point. You know, everyone who I saw would be just not happy, 
whether family was difficult or work was sort of, because there was also, you know, when you live in a patriarchal society, of course, like it was before Me Too movement, right? So there are tons of cases of men taking advantage, you know, at the workplaces. So it would women just constantly stressed and kind of haunted, you know, in a way. So of course you don't feel free. And you have you feel like you have to constantly watch your back about everything. And um, and so I left. I technically I'm like a university dropout. I didn't actually finish it fully even. And I left, I think, when I was 20 or 21. And it was more like not like I'm leaving the country. You know, I you know me that I'm a person who does things step by step. It was more that I just wanted to go um, and spend summer somewhere outside of Russia at the time. And it happened that I knew someone in Switzerland, a friend. So I just went, you know, there for three months and I had like a very small suitcase packed with me because I didn't plan, you know, on going for a long time. And the joke is, I never came back since then. So I went for three months and then September came and I called my mom and I said, I'm thinking I'm going to take, you know, like an academical year off just to clear my head and just learn language here. And so, and I stayed in for another year, I learned German and then, and then I stayed, I dropped out from the university entirely. And uh, I kind of just started this journey into the world. And so you haven't gone back since, right? You have been traveling around the world. And... Yeah, I mean, I have. I mean, I have been visiting, but I have not yeah. been living. You know, it has been like twenty years ago almost. So, what brought you to Singapore? How did you come uh, come to be in Singapore? I think life moves you around. You know, it's. Uh, I was living in New York before with the family, and by the time I was already married, and then it is just uh, my. Uh, my uh, um, my late husband, uh, he wanted to move to Asia and he chose Singapore. So that was just more family move. And uh, the joke is I have never even been to Asia at that time. And I moved to Singapore in 2008. So it was quite of a culture shock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not even travel to this part of the world to show up here. And everything, you know, food, weather, people. It's like coming to an entirely different planet where you have absolutely no point of reference. And <laughs> uh, it, was, it was actually really tough with all the integrations. But because, you know, before, I mean, I, like, I, I lived in Europe, so I still had to integrate there. Then I moved to US, right? I had to integrate there. And then, so Asia was like my third kind of massive integration like this. So by the time I kind of knew a bit more uh, what I was doing. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. <laughs> great, great, great. Actually, um, you know, Yana, having known you for some time, right? One of the things, one of the traits that I, I most admire about you is um, I would describe you as a person who I think of as very fluid. And the word that really comes to my mind is formless. No, formless, yeah. not as in, you know, that you are you are you are, you are, you are over the place, but formless in the sense that you're very flexible, you're very adaptable, and you're very fluid. Um, yet you're very focused. There's a certain focus about you know that you bring to your work, that you, to your business. So, uh, how did you develop that ability to be so fluid and adaptable? Mm. I think life kind of made me this way, you know, it's like I said, we're just all products of our environment, right? It's not, I don't think I had a choice to say consciously in that. I mean, it starts, I mean, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. So I think so too, that's probably, you know, as a child, it just triggers you to be more adaptable, right? Because you have to adapt to, to a new situation. And then, you know, country collapses, you have to adapt to a new reality, and mm. uh, and then because I left earlier, uh, like I mean, I left uh, like to, like the, my country of origin earlier. Then when you travel so much and you go to new cultures, I mean, you're a bit like a child when you show up there. You have to adapt. You have really no choice. Like if you want to, at the beginning it was about survival. Like if you want to survive, you have to adapt. Mm. Then it became more about thriving, right? If you want to thrive, you still have to adapt. You still have to, you know, see what is happening around you. And to me, I think it's also like the biggest difference, for example, in a human development between training and facilitation, right? Mm. And I know that like the main difference between the two would be that the training is when you have a plan, 
Like you, you have, you, you know, you kind of mapped out the entire workshop by, by the minute. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And then the training kind of goes on. That's very structured one way of doing it. And uh, like a facilitation, it's more when you walk in the room, as what my, my teacher, you know, Blessing used to say, and that you have maybe like a five sentences written on a piece of paper, just like a key, like a points, what you want to teach for the one day workshop. And then you look at the people in the room and you start, right? So that's kind of like the other spectrum where everything is the flow. And I feel that um, this is my experience. You, you become much more efficient and happier when you combine the two. Like you need to mm. have structure, but structure mm. needs to be loose enough that there is space for the flow and for the new things, for the unusual and predicted things. This is fantastic, fantastic. This is not easy to, to maintain, you know, especially in a world where people just like to put people into boxes and label them, right? It's like um, you're, you're Asian, you're, you're Russian, you're American, or you're uh, INFP, ESFJ, or you know, whatever you are, the Marius Briggs type personality, or you are an Enneagram type three, type four. I think or your profession, right? People label things like your doctor, your engineer, your financial analyst, your coach, your trainer, your speaker, your consultant. So, I mean, in the world that, you know, is always looking to put people in the boxes, I think formlessness is so important. What would you say to people who always want to label people and put people in the boxes? I think you're not being wholehearted. Like you're not seeing the full picture. And it's, I, I just, that's why I'm a person who is very reluctant to agree to labels. And that's also, you know, that I'm, I'm uh, uh, spiritual. So it's also part of my practice, right? To uh, live my life label-free in a way. And so like, I know these days when people ask me like a very common question, like, where are you from? I say, I'm from everywhere. <laughs> no, and in my case, it is true because I'm yes. like, well, where, where do I begin? Like, where, where am I? Do you want me to tell you like my life story? You know, like what is it? And uh, or when they ask me, so what is your religion? And I go, well, you know, by birth I'm Orthodox, by marriage I'm Hindu, and currently by practice I'm Tibetan. And I'm <laughs> curious also, you know, about Islam and you know Jewish culture, and I study it. So I, I don't know. And overall, I consider myself to be an agnostic because I question everything. So I don't know how to answer question like, what is your religion, for example? <laughs> and and uh, so I feel that. Um, it's like, you know, if we look at the full potential, there's the full spectrum. Mm -hmm. Each human being has this full spectrum. And then when we start boxing people, we are taking a very small part from this whole spectrum. And that's what we tell them that they are. Or people tell them themselves, yeah. this is what I am. But you're also so much more that you just thrown into the garbage and, you know, and not valuing. And... I feel like where we are heading, um, it's actually less about specialty. Like I just had a, a call now with one of the guys uh, about speaking, you know, possibility, and they were doing, they're doing a festival and a conference. And they were also telling me that they are moving from specialty when it comes to even speaking to more like a cross-disciplinary presentations, combining uh, maybe like mind and art or like a nature and technology, right? Like combining cross-disciplinary approaches together to see what, what can happen, what can come together. And I feel that's where we're also heading uh, because I mean, especially younger generation, like people in their twenties, maybe very early thirties. If I talk to them, no one kind of says that, like, I just want to be a doctor or I just mm -hmm. want to be a lawyer, you know? They have all kinds of interests. Like person who wants to be a musician and a businessman or wants to be, I don't know, a professional dancer and a surgeon at the same time. So I feel that uh, we are moving in time where just society evolves in that sense. And people, especially younger people, they don't want that kind of labels that much in their lives. 
Wow, I mean, listeners at home probably cannot watch that. I'm just nodding my head nonstop, nonstop. Right? I'm, I'm a big fan of this, this idea that, you know, I think David Epstein wrote a book called Range, right? Talking about how the future belongs to people who are generalists rather than specialists. It doesn't mean that specialists are out, but special, we have to be like the T-shaped talent, right? We need to go deep in our special specialty, but at the same time also have a very wide spectrum of skills that we bring to the table, I recall you once said something which I found super cool in our conversation. You said, I cannot allow my work to dictate the kind of personality I have. Care to share more about that? That's just so cool. It is not just about work. I feel in general about, you know, everything. Uh, family, I would say the same. Like my, uh, you know, people, people, people like on social media or my friends perceive me <laughs> Uh, as very, you know, sweet and kind and, and soft. And, and so my family members tell you I'm very tough. <laughs> especially with those who are closest to me so it's it also applies to family life and i feel particularly you now in asia it's very important because just the way how society is also structured family has a lot of things to say about how they want us to be and how they want our personality to be and i feel that both um it's about a free will of a human being i mean you're the only one who gets to choose how you want to be. And that's to me a big part of the growing up and the big part of becoming wholehearted and a big part of becoming this very holistic, well-rounded person where you, you, you know who and what you are and you're honest about it with yourself and others and you align your life accordingly, where then work, of course, becomes also a part of that. And to me, um, like when I, you know, look around at people, and of course, I mean, we're all humans, right? Like you look at someone and you go, wow. I mean, it's kind of like a mixture of admiration and a bit of jealousy. Do you know? <laughs> right? You go, I yes. kind of admire you, but I also am a little bit jealous about how you are <laughs> and what kind of life you have. And yes. I think we all have it, right? To some extent, mm -hmm. we're all human. And so when I look sort of at someone like that, then I, the first question I ask myself, do I actually like their life? Like if I look closely, mm. you know it, how they're living. And, and to me, especially when we talk about business success, and it's still, you know, these days it, it's very big, right? You have to succeed. You have to be this and that and that. So um, when, when I look at someone's business success, the question I always wonder, what was the price? Mm. The person actually had to pay for that. And yeah. there's always the price, one way or another. And so, and I look at what this price is. And, and then sort of, uh, sometimes it is health, sometimes it is family relationships, sometimes it is, I don't know, money, sometimes it is just your own soul. It could be all kind of, you know, things that are happening around. And, and then to me, um, when I choose the work that I want to do and where I'm heading, I'm always just very conscious how is it going to affect my life? You know, so if I'm going like in this direction and I want to do that, how is it going to affect my family? How is it going to affect my health? And am I willing to pay this price or not? And if not, I don't do that. And, you know, if I still want to do something, then I just try to find a way, like, how do you sort of, you know, how do you find a different way of doing it so that, that your life is still together and relationship together and you are still, you know, well and sound in your mind and in your body. As you face the challenges of living up to your own and others' expectations, you may sometimes feel lost and lonely. However, know that you're not alone. We are here to support you in leaning courageously into your heart's promptings. If you'd like more tips, resources, and to learn more about how you can live more wholeheartedly, or to book me as a speaker, trainer, or coach, please go to coentan.com. That's C-O-E-N-T-A-N.com. Love it, love it, love it. To encapsulate that, and I, I'd like to share another very cool phrase you shared with me in the past. <laughs> I remember all of these cool phrases. I just wow, your memory is phenomenal. <laughs> 
I, I actually I actually write them down. I collect them down as Yana's wise sayings. <laughs> uh, I, I remember once you said, I'm just very inclusive about the career I choose to pursue. And I, I thought that was like, wow. I just captured straight away the sentiments of the people that, that, that I mean, that, that, that they are living today, right? It's like uh, we're talking a lot about the, the silent quitting. We're talking about the great vaccination. I think people just are awakening to this idea yes. that there could be something bigger and more for them like exactly. you said exactly you know and also like to your point about inclusiveness i i feel it's very important that we develop uh, different aspects of ourselves like for example i can tell you only now since now I'm more and more going on bigger and bigger stages, I speak to more and more people, right? And to me, it's very interesting because everyone else around me, including like conferences organizers and you know other professional speakers who have been doing it for 20, 30 years professionally. And now, you know, when I go on stage and speak and they go like, wow, like where did you learn? You know, I mean, you're sort of like, you're, you're just kind of, you know, you're like on this journey right now, going on those stages, right? But you come mm -hmm. with presence and experience and delivery. Like, where did you study? Like, what kind of, you know, speaking school did you go to? <laughs> and I reflected on this and I said to myself, well, none. I didn't go to any speaking school. I, I didn't even take in my life any, like, official speaking classes. I'm not part of the Toastmasters, you know. I didn't do speakers boot camp. Like, I'm not, like, I didn't attend anything. But what I did, I did a lot of other things. Like I was, a, I grew up on stage as a child and teenager. I was a child and teen actor. I was a dancer, you know, we were performing competitively. Like then when I was a teenager, I was a model. So I spent a lot of time in front of the camera. That's Ooh. why I don't have, you know, the stage fright or camera fright, right? So, and then just being also so well-traveled and just being exposed to like all kinds of situations and then wow. getting to all the trainings, like I trained myself as a coach, as a trainer, as a facilitator, you know, like sort of to work with the audience of any size from one-on-one -on -one interaction to thousands of people. Like, how do you manage the audience? What do you do? And so I feel all of that together holistically. Now I understand why intuitively I did it, because now it puts me in this space where I can go on stage and speak and I'm at peace with this. Does it make sense? Right. So I feel that's that's why it's important to be inclusive. Indeed, you talk about the price to pay, right? And also about your past experiences. I remembered about a few years ago, you started this Yana TV, and I thought it was a spectacular success, but you had to sort of like, you know, put it away or you know, stop doing that. And how easy or difficult it, it was for you to decide, make that decision to stop. Uh... I think it was both easy and difficult for different reasons. <laughs> with Yana, you know, with Yana TV, it was great. It was amazing in terms of just getting to know people and um, kind of having those conversations with who is who. But I think I did. I was not clear on my mission at that time. Mm. It was more sort of maybe almost like an egocentric thing to do in a way. Right. So sort of mm -hmm. it made me feel good. It sort of made me, uh, uh, you know, you you talk to famous people, you talk to successful people, you get to know them. I guess maybe in a way it was sort of my own ego that just wanted, you know, to be polished at that time. And when you don't have um, like a clear vision and a mission, then it's like a ship which doesn't have a clear direction. Mm. And so what was happening then with Yana TV, even though from a commercial point of view and from a popularity point of view, it was developing exponentially. And uh, yes, it was like really evolving and evolving. And it was at the very peak, actually, uh, when I decided to pause it and then eventually kind of move, you know, aside. And the reason why I did it, because I felt it was not aligned with who I am as a human being. And so it took me, it was a big decision to make sort of like, you know, what do you do with the career that goes amazingly well, but you feel that's not who you are. Wow. And, you know, and then I felt, well, you have to pull the plug sooner or later. So if you do it sooner, it's a bit easier because the damage control is a bit less, 
right? If, if I were to stay another maybe five, 10 years and moved in an entirely different direction, it is harder to do that. And I felt that I want to do something which is like fully aligned with my soul and fully aligned with who I am and fully aligned with my mission. And that's, that's where I am right now. And what I'm doing right now is aligned with this. That's why it's just much more harmonious. Wow. <laughs> I mean, just listening to, to you sharing that, that's huge, right? I mean, a lot of times we suffer from sunk cost fallacy. We believe that since we have put in so much effort and work into something, the more committed we are to, to that something, the more, you know, we, we cannot move on from that. And um, just to just to say that, I, I mean, you, you speak about it with so much wisdom right now, but it cannot be, have, have been easy for you at the time. No, it was very so, difficult. And to be honest, yeah. my entire team thought that was crazy. So every, everyone was saying, Yana, no one does it. Who does it when you're at the peak of whatever it is you are doing? Wow. Um, but it just felt the right decision. Wow. Can I, can I just jump into that piece about mission, right? It's like, how did you know that it's not quite aligned to your mission? And now, now that you're, you're more aligned to your mission with what you're doing right now, how, how do you know the difference? How do you know if you're aligned or you're not aligned to your mission? That's a great question, Cohen. Um, I can speak only from my experience, right? I think yeah. maybe different for, for different people. For mm. me, it's, it's a feeling. It's, possibly I would maybe say here, right? If we talk about the heart, it's almost like, it's like an inner bell, you know, that goes ting. And uh, so I remember just when I was, uh, especially at the very end of Yana TV, also the people that would be coming, um, it's kind of becoming more and more maybe commercial with, with the direction of it. It, it. it didn't feel deep enough. It didn't feel... Um, it felt it, it didn't feel that it conveys the right message because it was still largely about you know power and success and and kind of all those things maybe maybe it's not the direction where i should be going so it's a feeling it's how how it makes you feel and um with what i'm doing right now which kind of we i'm still doing interviews right with timeless teachings podcast but those yeah. are entirely different and now it's all around consciousness and human potential and human development and just in general, like uh, how can we evolve to our maximum abilities as human beings? And that for me, my biggest passion and, and that's something I have been pursuing myself. And this is just feels right. And also it aligned with the mission and mission became to me clear maybe only in the last year, honestly. So wow. before that, I, I think maybe I was still not entirely clear. And um, so I know that for myself, you know, my mission, the way how I see it, is to do what I can to elevate human consciousness globally. That's my mission. Yes. <laughs> and so I feel that everything that I do is aligned with that. And if it is not aligned, I don't do that. And then even the decisions that they make, like, for example, even speaking engagements, like you're a speaker, you would understand, right? Let's say people reach out and tell you, you know, let's, let's come, come and speak. And sometimes it's, uh, they ask you to speak for free. Sometimes they pay you lots of money. Sometimes they pay you, pay you okay money. So, and you have to make a decision, like, are you going to take it on or not, for example? So how do you make decisions? And like, I don't know how other speakers make decisions and I'm sure everyone has their own reasons, right, for that. For me, my biggest question is, is it going to contribute to my mission, right? So that, that, that engagement, that speaking gig that is being presented to me, will I have an opportunity there to help those people to elevate their consciousness? And if the answer is yes, then there's almost 100% certainty that I'm going to, you know, take it on, regardless of maybe other practicalities around it. And if the answer is no, then even if they pay me tons of money, I feel it's not worth of my time, because then they would want me to fit in a very specific rigid mm. box. And if I cannot do what I feel I am here to do, I don't want it. Wow. <laughs> Such a powerful question, right? It's like, is it is it aligned to my mission? And I think also to your values, right? That you mentioned early on, your values of freedom, of love, of contribution. Yes. Right? Wow. Yeah. 
Wow, wow, wow. I mean, for me, my mission is really to set hearts free, right? Um, and so one of the things that I always look to do is uh, in my workshops, in my coachings, in my speaking, is really to give people, you know, hope, right? It's really, really to give them hope that, you know, whatever they are going through or what they have, whatever they have gone through, um, it's, it, it is not as dark as it, as it as we make it sound, right? And they can heal from that. And so for me, um, I really want to live according to my mission as well. But how do you know if, if this potential gig or this speaking opportunity or this um, you know, engagement is going to help you to live your mission? Because you haven't met the people yet. It is a feeling. Like I'm still mm-hmm. coming back to this. And it's feeling that comes from the initial context. So let's say an organizer, conference organizer reaches out, or maybe sometimes I reach out to someone, right, and introduce myself. And this is very initial contact, just the way they talk to me and how they talk and what they say and how they answer questions. That first conversation tells me everything. Mm. And, and it is especially around actually how does it make me feel when I talk with them? And if it makes me feel, you know, like sounds great on paper and money is amazing, but something feels off or especially like sometimes in the heart, it feels it's being contracted. Like, you know, this, this tension in the heart, like you feel that something is sometimes even hard to breathe when it's not fully open. Like you talk to someone and you go, well, it's kind of sounds all nice, but it just didn't make me feel good. Mm. And so on the opposite, I guess, to the other events where I start conversation with people and from the first moment, it just feels right. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to those conversations. They understand. They, they talk me, when they talk about their audience, I can see, I can connect with this. I'm going to go, yeah, those are going to be great people, right? Also, how organizers, what are they interested in? Is it just kind of usually if it is just a tick off the box, then most of the time it would not be aligned because they could care less about human consciousness or people in general. They just need to find a speaker for an event, right? That's it. (laughs) So, and there are plenty of those things. Fine. You know, way to make money. Yes. But for me, it's not good enough for my soul. And if it's not good enough for my soul, I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm just really emotional listening to this because I remembered, um, I came to you a few times when we first met, right? Um, some of those times when I wasn't doing so well in my life. and um, But you always make me feel so comfortable, right? You always saw something in me, right? It's like perhaps you saw my consciousness or you saw my my potential um, in a much better place right now. But I mean, look, we're all human beings. We are never perfect, right? It's like we still have our own shadows that we have to manage and everything like that. But I mean, just getting to this place and having this conversation is just, oh, inspiring it's like i'm just having to catch my breath here <laughs> like wow it's so it's so beautiful so beautiful right um we'd like to just uh, ask some quick fire questions that we ask all our guests um so and i think you, you're just going to ace this one so you ready bring it on <laughs> all right so um the first question is this like what's the most powerful question you have ever been asked before what nourishes your soul I'm just going to pause and ponder that. So beautiful. I think there's no there's no need for more elaboration on that. No I think more that, questions. I, I get it. I get it. I get it at a very visceral level, at a very physical level inside my heart. It goes, ah, who is a mentor or supporter who has made the biggest difference in your life? I think two people right now. It is my mom and my husband. Tell me more. Well, my mom, it is because she was the parent that I grew up with. And uh, and she uh, she's just one of those incredible examples of parenting where no matter what you do as a child, they still love you. And I find it such an incredible lesson. You know, so with my mom, we went through all kinds of stages. I We had nice periods, not so nice periods. We had periods when I would rebel and, and, and run away from home. We had periods when I would shut her off from my life and not talk to her for a few years. Like we had everything, you know, throughout our relationships. 
And now that I'm also maturing and understanding, you know, I think when we're a bit younger, we're a bit, we're a bit more clueless, right? <laughs> so now I also understand a bit better this. And I like, I feel now I feel like deeper and deeper love and appreciation that she never gave up on me. Like, so oh. that she was always there and she never withdrew her love, regardless of my behavior or my words or my action, you know, as daughter. And I find, so just that lesson of itself and, and having a parent who is like this, to me, it has been huge learning uh, and support over the years. So that's, you know, I just feel every child, you know, deserves to have a parent like this. So she, mm. um, so she just plays significant role in terms of teaching me what unconditional love is in that sense. And uh, my husband, because when he met me, I mean, I was a mess. So we met mm. 30 years ago and I was really, really in a dark place of my life. Like, I mean, now everyone goes, oh, you know, Yana, it's amazing. You do this, you do that. You look so happy. You look so calm. You make people feel good. Well, you should have seen me 13 years ago. You know, mm. I was like that close to suicide. I mean, I was mentally like really in a dark, dark place. And also like I was broke. I mean, my entire life was a disaster, everything. Mm. And uh, so he just a person who stood by my side, no matter what. No good days, bad days, happy days, you know, unhappy days, tantrums, you know, fights, uh, uncertainty, like, you know what you go in relationships through, right? Soul searching when you try to figure out things or like all the healing that I had to go through because I, I apparently only later I realized that because of my upbringing and everything that happened in the first 27 years of my life, I was suffering from massive PTSD and I was in a massive denial of that also. So it's like the whole journey, you know, of healing was not easy. I just actually... I feel like I just kind of completed that like holistically in my heart only this year, you know, and it feels again, this thing went zing and yes. my system went in alignment, you know, like I don't know how else to explain it, but it will, it was for me 12 years of therapy, coaching and very intense healing modalities to just process my childhood, my teens, my early twenties and everything, you know, what was happening during the time. So, so my husband was with me during all those times, seeing me in all those, you know, situations and scenarios and still loving and still wanting to be married and still supporting. And so I guess maybe there's just like another, you know, experience of that similar um, unconditional love. I feel like maybe that's what we are coming to. And to me, um, because I became who I am today and the way how I feel right now in my heart, in my body, in my mind, and also, you know, the work that I'm doing, and I feel I am just at the very beginning of my work and my life's mission. And I feel like I am the, the real life product of yes. these two people who did not give up. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like they just stayed with me. And that's why I was able to, to heal myself. And I was able like to, to become sort of what it is that I am at the moment. And if it's not for them, I, I don't know where I would have been right now in my life. To be honestly, I'm not sure I would have ever made it. So it's, so I feel it just, to me, it's like this reminding lesson. And maybe that's why I also said at the beginning that those three words, right? It's kindness, fearlessness, and service. And so I feel like now it is all about service and contribution. And that's also where my life is heading. And the reason why I can do this is because I had those people who gave me time and space and support I needed to go through my own journey and to heal myself. So I, I have now this direct experience and direct imprint, this tenacity of love, right? So where, tenacity of love. <laughs> where you just keep holding people in their high potential, no matter what, you know, they make mistakes, they stumble, they... They do something really bad. They start another war, you know, or declare something else. There are all kinds of, they, they lose the way. Never mind. You keep holding people in their high potential. And, and that's what I keep doing. Just keep holding, you know, everyone I work with, 
everyone who is around me and also just the whole society. Like people these days say, you know, the apocalypse is coming and we're all going to die through World War Three and nuclear bombs or, oh. in, uh, I don't know, bio war or something. And I'm one of those people. Well, we don't know. Maybe hard to say, you know, I mean, how do how we're not fortune tellers. How do we know? But I also know for sure that there is hope. And I have incredible trust and belief in humankind and in the society. And I'm one of those people who genuinely believes that as humans, we're going to make it one way or another. We're going to figure it out. And so what I do with my work directly and indirectly, also people I support in an indirect way, is just holding that space, right? You can do this. You will figure it out. You can heal. You can step up. You can become a leader. You know, you, you, can, you can do the right thing. And so I feel as we are doing all of that, then we have a future, fundamentally. <laughs> wow. wow, you know, Yana, I can listen to you all day, man. It's like, like just, wow. Everything you say is just you know, tonic for my soul. <laughs> um, just one final question, right? So what's the one, of, one of the most courageous things you have done in your life that's made all the difference? I think it's a tough question for me. <laughs> I have done a lot of things so it's like this, you know, to, to choose one. Um, hmm. Well, for some reason, intuitively, I still keep going back to this moment when I left uh, my country of origin. So because that, I think, was a decision that has the most uncertainty. Like all other, I did plenty of courageous, you know, and fearless stuff, but I had built a larger safety net by then, right? So I feel the fact when I was, yeah, like whenever, you know, drop out from the university and leave like into nowhere. And I mean, I, I left, I had like hundred US dollars in my pocket that my mom saved, I don't know, for three years probably to give it to me. And like, there was no bank accounts, no credit cards. I didn't have any family members anywhere. I had no job, you know? So you're literally leaping into the unknown and you don't know where you're going to land. Are you going to crash? Are you going to fly? So there's just so much uncertainty. And so I feel that that probably was the bravest things I have, you know, ever done. And I'm not sure I ever want to do it again like this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's something you do once in your life. And then I think that's how you fundamentally change the course. But it was incredibly difficult to land and to build and to figure out. And, and so, you know, which is for me also interesting. Maybe I feel like it's important to say, as I know that, Soon you want to come to the end of the conversation today, but I just feel that it's an important moment where there's so much globalization and interconnectivity. And now with the technology, right? So everyone, there's like so much, we, we talk with people across the world, we travel so much, we're so connected, and there we have a lot of experiences now of cross-cultural marriages, like mine, for example, right? So people are mixing all over the world, globally. And at the same time, I can tell you when I go somewhere, I don't know, could be Russia, could be any other country, I go somewhere and I go to a village or to a small town and I just look at the lives of people who are having it very simple, who maybe live where their parents and their grandparents used to live. When I go to those remote places, villages and towns, there's a part of me, like a part of my heart and part of my soul that almost in a way, in a, um, you know, it's like this very white, sweet element of, um, I wish I had that too. <laughs> so, where, because when I look at them, I see that they, their mind is more stable because mm. there are less stimulations. Mm. So it's not, it's not that uh, bombarded with experiences, with information, with, with things that you need to deal with. So it's, it's, it's just simpler. And I find it fundamentally they are in a way maybe even happier, you know, in mm -hmm. that sense, because um, you have to worry about less things. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And I really, really love uh, the, the kind of duality that you're bringing into this conversation. It was like um, tenacity in love. Um, 
being fearlessly kind, right? And those, those are words that we don't normally associate together. We, are, we kind of associate them as opposite side of the spectrum, but I really, really like the duality in this, in this whole thing. So thank you so much, Yana, for your time speaking to us and for your humanity. That's very, very inspiring. I'm just so inspired right now. It's like, I think I can go on for, for a whole week, you know, it's like without losing any momentum. Uh, so where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? I think the best way is probably connect with me either LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, because my website is just being updated at the moment. And it is just Yana Fry. So everything dash Yana Fry. And then it's, so it's very easy to find. <laughs> and also we can follow your, your Timeless Teaching Podcast uh, exactly. for more inspirations. We, exactly. And which all, all of those links, they're also on social media. So everything is tagged everywhere. But then also if you just go Spotify, uh, Apple, you know, Google, Amazon, it's Timeless Teachings. And you will see my face there on the cover. So, so you'll recognize. <laughs> so if you'd like to join Yana Nation, just like I, I am a part of Yana Nation, you can go and find out more and you can find out more in the show notes. So once again, thank you very much, Yana. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. It's been so long since we've seen each other. Thank you for having me here. Thank you, Yana. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for being part of this heartwarming conversation today. If you've enjoyed the show as much as I have creating it for you, I really appreciate it if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you won't miss a future episode? To the next episode, stay wholehearted.